Hello and welcome to Counterpressed on the Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Kate Longhurst and Jesse Parker Humphreys. It's been a big old week for Counterpress, guys. We are massive, officially. We're really popular. The, the numbers show. The numbers don't we, lie. The, the graph says, up, 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 you are massive at the top. <laughs> because we had uh, lots of shout-outs for Spotify Wrapped. Have you done your Spotify Wrapped yet, Kate? I have. Oh, yeah. What, what's on there, then? Yours. What was on there for yours? Oh, God. What did I have on there? I, no shame. No, I surprisingly had Rihanna at the top and I was thinking... Rihanna? Yeah, oh, but I was also thinking I used my phone quite a lot for the changing rooms uh, last year and so I had some really random Those kids songs. and their Rihanna. <laughs> yeah, but I had some really random songs on mm. there so I was kind of like, uh, it's not really me. But yeah. I, but I so what to, is you? Um, what is Kate Longhurst's genre? I love Beyonce, but old <laughs> Beyonce. Um, I, to be honest, I do listen to a lot of different things. Okay. I like a lot of different genres. Um I'm very, I wouldn't be good for like artists trying to sell music and yeah. like being committed to them. I'm very drifty. Like I'll She's just versatile. Random. Just like on the football pitch, you know? Just like yeah. my mum, you know, the only woman who I think had the national and Rihanna in her top five. Your mum's one was really good. She had some other interesting ones. She had, uh, who else did she have? Sinead O'Connor. Sinead O'Connor. Sinead O'Connor. Obviously, because of her death, I think, you know, a bit of an uplift oh, and yeah. a celebration of her music. Uh, Taylor Swift was on there as well. So. I love Taylor Swift. I'll put it out there. Yeah, mine, I, I mean, Taylor Swift Taylor definitely was definitely on my mine. number one. I had what a couple of random ones which I got through because it's like a gym or exercise playlist. So you just listen to it that many times. Uh, a lot of Olivia Rodrigo and mine. Oh, a lot okay. of Lana Del Rey. That's what um, my brother had. That's very yeah. Edward Park Humphreys coded. Mine was all gals. The girlies. Charlie XCX. So it was girls. just mine. pop, pop, pop. Taylor Swift, Fletcher, Kelsey Ballerini, Rina Sawayama and... But then Aguilera. <laughs> it's true. The rumors are true. We love girls. <laughs> but it was, yeah, I was actually disappointed in how mine didn't branch out. Normally I do have a bit of a different genre, but it was a lot of pop music. I think I just didn't go into as much maybe like... Where did it say you were from? Uh, York, which York. was like the, the mighty hoopla gays town uh, on Spotfy, a bit like how Burlington and I can't remember where the other place was. Was the sad lesbian town. Was the town. sad lesbian town. Uh, and I also had Boy Genius on mine as well, which right. fits that narrative. And a few other people I know got York. The so. Boy Genius counterpressed Venn diagram crossover. Oof. We need to talk about we that. We need to actually. talk about that. So, yes, shout out to all of you who had. Uh, counterpressed in your Spotify wrapped. We obviously absolutely love it. We had loads of you have us as our, your number one pod, which is obviously amazing. And our top episode was England getting through to the World Cup final. I mean, what and would it be? our most shared episode was the ACL one, which is so <laughs> women's football coded. So women's football coded. So thank you so much to everyone that has tuned in over the last year and obviously during the World Cup and shout out to our brilliant World Cup guests that we had really just helped us elevate our tournament coverage to another level. My best feedback we got actually, because uh, there's a comment I think someone left us on iTunes and please do rate and review on Spotify or other podcast networks that you use because it makes a massive dif difference and loads you've had already. But there was a review someone left us after the final. You've seen that, haven't you, Jesse? Where oh, I think I shared He it, yeah. said... Um, 
that we that he he didn't like the way that we uh, covered the final outside the ground. We needed to talk about England losing more. more. <laughs> <laughs> we were miserable enough. Uh, yeah, and also it just wasn't very practical. Like, unless no. <laughs> we forget, someone was literally snogging where we were trying to record. So sometimes you just got to work with what you got. Uh, but yes, a brilliant, brilliant year for us. We've really enjoyed giving you guys the content, and thank you so much for all your love on social media and on Spotify. We love you guys. And that leads me on to the next bit of house admin because we are nominated for a Pod Bible Award. We've been nominated for Best Sport and Leisure Pod. So please vote for us if you love Counterpressed. <laughs> Don't vote for us. I don't know why that really made me laugh. If you love Counterpressed. <laughs> Um, Righty's House is also on there, but... Don't vote for them. You've got to choose between... They're very popular already. They're very po- they don't need more awards. No. Righty's got a Premier League golden boot, for God's sake. Let us have this one, okay? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, go to Pod Bible's social media uh, also, or go on the Counterpress account or go on my Twitter and you will find the link. Jilly, Kate's also shared it. Jesse, have you shared it yet? I've not done a personal message because... Oh, because, okay, because I see how it is. I thought the key with these campaigns is you don't want everyone to go early when no, we've got true. lots you know oh, Kate off. and Julie have written yeah. their own thing yeah, but we, there's a while to go so yeah we've know. got until the end then of everyone the will be able to retweet me and it'll feel fresh and exciting true yeah, I'll true. just keep posting relentlessly <laughs> but yes please we like it would be amazing and we know you guys are big supporters of the show so brilliant if you could go and vote on there um that's enough admin for today I think Shall that's we, enough patting ourselves on the that's back. That's enough uh, <laughs> massaging our egos. Uh, so let's get stuck into some football chat because we had that massive game on Friday between England and the Netherlands at Wembley. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to touch on some of the big stories from the first game of fixtures in this window in the Nations League and also answer some of your listener questions. So let's get into it after this. Well, shout out Jilly Flatty as well, getting her recognition on the side of the yeah. Wembley pitch. We love to see it because we had been disappointed as a counterpressed HQ about the fact that Jilly had yet to get her little England tap on the back and they'd done a big sort of walk round recently for a lot of players. I think it was the Scotland game uh, they did at Wembley that, that was sort of marking that. So it was great to see Jilly get that recognition with her curls down Here's as well. <laughs> she said, classically that her mum forced her to have her hair down for it and she looked very cute in the pic and um, also congratulations to Abby McManus and Jodie Taylor and also everyone else who got their legacy caps um, I saw Leanne Sanderson getting it Annie Luco, uh, Karen Carney as well so it's really nice that the FA have been doing that over the last couple of years but the game itself wow chaos um my expectations were quite low going into this game because after we spoke about the Nations League previously, I had leaned into what you were saying more and more, Jesse, about the fact I'd, I'd sort of accepted that we weren't going to get through to the Olympic Games. The copium take. Yeah, and I actually thought that was probably for the best. Mm. So I'd been telling myself, everyone gets a break. This this cycle of tournaments has been so intense and, and just relentless. I would actually quite like to see everyone take their foot off the gas, not worry about the Olympic Games because we don't historically do very well in them anyway, and just have a nice holiday. But then as we went 2-0 down, I suddenly thought, 
And I kind of want England to win, though. Like, you kind of want to see them win. But it was a weird sort of up and down situation to go on because I had sort of thought, nah, we lose this, not the end of the world. Yeah, it's... Uh, the game was bizarre, really. I, I didn't think we actually started really bad, but obviously the two goals defensively as well were just a horror show. Um and that's kind of been creeping into England performances lately. Um, probably in the last year, really, the World Cup we didn't we didn't really set the world alight, but we kept getting the job done. And I feel like this was another game where we we didn't play like at our absolute best, but we still got the job done. Sort of. Obviously, another goal would have changed the whole narrative. Um, what I think is really interesting is I don't think many people in the crowd understood the situation because I don't know about you, but when I watched the final whistle and all the England players like slumped to the floor and the crowd just jumped up and I'm thinking there's no connection right now between how the England players are feeling mm. and how the crowd are reacting. Of course, it's exciting for children. You come back from 2-0 down, it finishes 3-2. For the kids. <laughs> do it for the kids. Um, Kate's like, learn your permutations, yeah. guys. Yeah. I don't want you cheering if you don't know what margin we needed to win by. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think this is just like the whole... The whole campaign, I haven't got a clue what's going on. <laughs> I don't understand how everything works. It's qualification for Olympics. It's this nation's... Li I haven't got a clue. And I don't think the fans have a clue either. Well, the nation's All I know League... is we need to win like 4-0 or something. When they introduced the Nations League into the men's game, it is famously quite complicated. And there was a period when I it launched... I don't think it's that complicated. No, but there was a period when it launched when no one quite knew what was going on. Now we're a few years into it in the men's game, people get it. And I think actually it's easier in the women's game because it, they just streamlined it to the Olympic Games rather than... I think the Euros playoff situation we have in the men's and the relegation play, it just made it a little bit more complicated because it's like oh if you got through in the qualifying then this would happen but if you didn't get through so there was a bit more levels to it guys I if think you think simpler. this is complicated we are going to lose our minds at that Swiss model champions league because oh, that yeah. is something don't, we really don't understand don't don't, don't. well <laughs> might touch on that later but yes I do think this isn't as bad because it's a bit simpler where where with the where it's in relation to the Olympic Games. But then England have an extra complication because of the Scot it's a Scotland game they finish on and obviously it's Team GB and there's a lot of goal margins and help that they need from other teams. E like to an extent that ITV had the wrong graphic at the end uh, and yeah. at the end of the match, I think they put England top of the group and then they had to like flip it back and were like, oh, psych. Um, I did also see a lot of people sort of tweeting that England had to win by two goals to have any chance of, which is yeah. just not true. Yeah. Because obviously, given the way things have gone, the idea of Belgium taking points off the Netherlands doesn't seem crazy. that unlikely. No. Yeah, it could happen. Um, so, right, for the listeners that don't know, <laughs> okay, me, um, if England win by what? Four. If England win by four got clear goals, yeah. or if the Netherlands were to drop, drop points, points, yeah, then England would top okay. the group. Okay. And when Erin Cuthbert scores a hat-trick of own goals. Um, <laughs> well, because savage. she could get selected for the Olympics. This yeah, is what yeah, a lot of people are saying. I saw someone tweet, They're did never you see do that, but... Levi Colwell like, celebrating his Chelsea goal and then remembering oh, yeah. it was against yeah. Brian, so he stopped someone tweeting that with Erin Cuthbert when she scores for Scotland but realises she's not going to the Olympics. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> no, it's, 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 a weird, it's a weird one. And as we touched on in a previous episode, Michael Cox did foreshadow this whole event and the fact that England were going to always finish their 
campaign against Scotland makes it spookier. They could not be in this position and they could have not lost against Belgium and not lost that game against the Netherlands. But I think when it comes back to going like going deeper into their performance, I, don't, I agree. I don't think they were awful. I think it was a weird match, but I think this entire Nations League campaign for England has been like that because I think you are seeing in real time a squad and a group that are tired after back-to-back tournaments that, you know, the plan, the way that they play, things are getting a little bit stale. We're in that point in this journey of this team after the World Cup and after the Euros and with the same manager where you just feel like, hmm, are you sort of running out of ideas a little bit, but also are you just tired? And I think that's what the kind of, for me, the reality is the situation is like, these players have been doing this for so long and that also is what makes me want them to have a rest that I feel like it's natural and not not necessarily that concerning that these things are happening because it's it's obvious that it would when they've been through what they have been through. Yeah, I also just, don't think England were that bad. I think it was felt like a very, and I'm going to caveat this because I watched the game back in full after the result. And I do think that changes your perception of things, but I think it can change your perception of things both ways. Like I think if you're watching it live and you're two nil down at half time, everyone feels like it's been a really bad first half. But I thought up to the Dutch first goal, England were in control. The Dutch, I felt like, only really had one plan, which was to get the ball into Bierenstein in behind. And I felt like, generally, England weren't doing awfully at dealing with that. It's just, the first goal, I think, is like, it's the one point where Lauren James and Neve Charles have a mix-up, which gives Pullover the, the sort of freedom to make that pass, and it's a great pass. Um, and then the second goal, I'm like, I know it's a defensive mix-up and Bierenstein gets the shot, but it's a goal, like it's an absolute howler. And that was like their only real two chances. And I thought England had more than enough chances of their own in that first half. And then in the second half, it just felt like, I thought that bringing Beth Mead on was really changed the game. And it just felt like England were able to find a bit more confidence and a bit more confidence on the ball, especially playing out from the back. That just meant they were able to take it to the Dutch. But I, yeah, I don't know if it's just because I watched it after that and I knew that England won that maybe I saw it differently. But I just, I felt like it was much more one of those games where you're playing against a team who take, who managed to take their like two chances mm. and suddenly it feels like disaster as opposed to being like, oh my God, the Dutch are like pummeling. Us. No, and I don't think that I don't think Netherlands are that impressive. I do agree with you, Jesse. I think they just have clinical finishers, and then also the, in, in, in because of that, it means that the game can flip very quickly because fundamentally England can play better than them. So when they get control and they get that momentum, and Serena Vivian makes some changes, of which I think the most important and necessary was Beth Mead and her influence on the game, just because she then became the option which England couldn't find in the first five minutes she was on the pitch. They were trying to reach her and like the Netherlands were stepping in and intercepting but you saw just having that option change the tempo of the game and England could flip it and then you see like Jill Rod having a very different second half and the Netherlands almost just being trapped in their own half for the majority of that second half and it's like England gained control of that whereas if you are playing a top team making those individual errors you are going to get punished when you're playing a very 
clinical side, but then when you gain control and you create those opportunities, you can also make the most of them. Yeah, and that's what football is, isn't it? It's taking your chances if you, if a team does make a mistake. I think, like Jesse said, if you're watching it after, actually, if you watch the game as a whole, it wasn't that bad. But obviously, at half time, the pundits, the media, everything, uh, us as viewers, fans, you're watching it and you're going, well, how are they messing this up? How is it so bad? But actually, it is down to an error, which, you know, Mary Earps has saved England a lot of times. She has made a bad error. She knows that, obviously, from the way she reacted after the game as well. Um, but I thought Alessia Russo coming on as well just gave them a little bit more of a focal point up top and stretched their defence a little bit more as well. I think Beth Mead was the the kind of instigator of that, but I do think Russo coming on kind of helped that as well. And I like Lauren Hemp centrally, but I don't know if that's always the option. Serena has lent towards it a couple of times. Um, it's good to try different things as well because we can't just have, we have a number nine and, and that's it. We need a little bit of flexibility and um, shifting things around at times. Um, but I thought that really helped in terms of just giving the defence something else to think about. And then Lauren James, two bits of quality. I mean, the the first and the third goal were almost identical. Obviously, one was a header and one was um, with Ella Toon's foot. But I just thought that's the moment where I think we have key players at key times that can win us games. And even when things aren't necessarily going right or we up, are up against it, we've proved that we can come back. So I wouldn't write this England team off ever. Uh, at the moment, but I do agree they look tired. Um, but also to find that within themselves to then come back and win the game also shows a lot of, of courage and strength. Jesse, do you think Serena Vigman should have made more changes going into this game? Because it was obviously like a do or die situation, but, but given they are looking quite tired and she has a very formulaic way that she sets this team up and she only really drifts between like two formation options. But like we did have a lot of questions on social media and a lot of people were talking about the form of players outside this starting eleven who aren't getting the opportunity to start. And is that where she could have maybe, if she'd set up a different team from the off, created some uh, created a, a better scenario than it didn't have to be such a kind of like desperate fight back? I think pretty much everyone who was playing was the form players. I, I actually thought that the decision to play Hemp up to top and to play that front three was actually going for the players who were in form. I, I don't think Rousseau's had a bad season, but everyone knows that she's not hitting the back of the net right now, whereas Hemp and Kelly have looked fantastic in front of goal, as is Lauren James for, for Chelsea. So I think maybe my one question mark was Kirby starting. I didn't think she had a fantastic impact on the game, but equally Ella Toon hasn't looked amazing this season either. So I thought it made sense as a lineup. Um, definitely. I think obviously there are still question marks over Lucy Bronze, but I thought she really had a game of two halves as well. I thought she was awful in the first half. And then I thought as soon as Mead was ahead of her, she looked so much better. I don't know if that's just a confidence in Mead's defensive work that maybe she doesn't, that Kelly doesn't give her. Um, but it felt like Mead was a much better place to sort of track Esme Brutes and allow Bronze to, to move forward without sort of leaving Carter really exposed. Um, and and then yeah, I do think like across the team, like there are players who have played a lot of minutes. I didn't think it was surprising that Carter came off after an hour, and also that she made errors because she's played every single minute for Chelsea this season, um, having come off the back of starting all of the World Cup games. Um, so no, I thought I thought it was the right 
starting 11. I didn't really have any issues with people who weren't playing. I don't know. I think I would have liked... Uh, I think Kelly's in really good form and obviously as is Hemp. But I think maybe I would have liked to have seen Russo start in the middle and then James to kind of play as the 10. I don't think Ella Toon's in great form, so I would have probably left her out. Um, and yeah, I think I probably would have then put Hemp out left um, and perhaps left Kirby out of the team. Um, even though she can be that like game changer and that creative force for England. But I think there was almost just, just felt like a bit of a disconnect and it felt like in those moments where the Netherlands were on top, they had like England was so stretched. It felt like they had so much space to play in. Um, and I do, I was surprised that Morgan was the, the defender that came in, but I actually think she played well, but I do think she struggled under Wiegmann and she's not, playing she's not starting for City at the moment and I do think maybe the option there would have been like Letizia or Woburn Moy I think that was a speed consideration though as well I I, like Carter's England's quickest defender Mm. I would guess I don't know for certain but I know Carter's like one of the fastest players at Chelsea Um, and my I think when they took her off they knew with Berenstein they needed whoever Mm. was the next fastest centre that would be my guess Mm. I don't know no that would yeah that, that, that would make sense um Want to talk about Mary Epps's slightly strange post-match interview because it was odd, and I think you know goalkeepers can be like this because goal, goalkeeping is a very intense position on the pitch, and we know that goalkeepers are very intense people, uh, and the emotions are so high and so low. She was made captain for this game, so she's obviously in an awkward position where she has to come out and face the media, but it was quite. I found it almost uncomfortable and awkward to watch because I felt obviously that she was taking on responsibility that she almost didn't need to because, like like you say, Kate, her form has been so good for England and mistakes happen and we've seen her mistakes take like we've seen her make mistakes in the past and not react this way. So that was a bit concerning and distressing because I thought, okay, where is she right now where she's feeling like that? And she has this really kind of confident persona and character that she puts out and she holds herself very high she's very good speaker and it felt weird to see her in this position almost questioning herself and just looking so uncomfortable and unhappy I just was like oh god I hope she some people are like rallying around her and supporting her which I know they will be and Serena Vigman instantly was like I don't blame her I don't want her to, to see to be like that but it was really strange viewing yeah, it was uncomfortable, wasn't it? I, I felt she almost was distracted in the interview as well. I don't know if there was a screen there replaying I think the she goal. was watching the goals, yeah. yeah. Because I was just sort of like, this is a <laughs> weird scenario. She also touched upon it. Then they went further into that goal, asking the questions about that goal. And I'm kind of like, you almost have to read the room or, or structure the, the question better maybe. I don't know because she's just sort of said, oh... I've really messed up for that goal. I've let the girls down. And then they want to go kind of deeper into it. It's just a mistake. Like if you ask her to do that nine times out of 10, you would hope, or or sorry, if you ask her to do that out of 10, nine times out of 10, she would save it. But um, I, yeah, I I don't know if it's maybe because she's captain. That's why she went in front of the camera. Um, But it's, it's a difficult one because I think us as viewers, we also don't want to see her struggling like that. Um, 
But yeah, I, I don't think it helped that they played played the goals there because I don't feel like she was really connecting with the interviewer as well. So she's almost like reliving it straight away while she's talking about it. Mm. I think what I found bizarre was it, if it had happened right at the end of the game, I think I'd have got it. It just felt like so much time had passed and like the they team had come back. Comeback, yeah. and, I know, and I also thought this was a bit strange with the England players looking so devastated at the end. And I understand they wanted to win by a two-goal margin and Rousseau has that like, it's not a clear-cut opportunity, but opportunity at the end yeah. maybe to make it 4-2. But I still felt like, okay, you were 2-0 down and you've managed to put yourself in a position where you, you can still qualify. Okay, you have to have other stuff to go your way. But they kind of always needed that because if Belgium had beaten Scotland, they'd have, it wouldn't yeah. have mattered what they'd yeah. won by. They'd have been in the same position. And I just felt like the whole thing was just a bit, maybe a bit, overly emotional and I don't know if that's a tiredness thing like you know the, just the, this constant like competitive like highs and lows like you don't get these international breaks where you're playing friendlies so it doesn't have to mm. matter maybe that's just like taking a lot but I thought the amount of emotion from the whole team was a mm. bit because as, as I say if Erps makes that mistake when England are 3-1 up in like the 92nd minute, then I get it yeah. because it's like right there in front of you. But it just felt like in the context of it, I was like, oh my God, this is like... <laughs> it's going to be okay, guys. If they'd offered them that scoreline at half time, yeah. they would have yeah. bitten your hand off. Yeah. Um, but she, yeah, like you said, if, if it's like the last minute or something and it completely changes how everything happens now for the rest of the group, then fair enough. But I mean, it was, yeah, in the first half, she's got time to over it. And even when I say it's not in their hands, it is in their hands. They just have to smash well, yeah, Scotland. Yeah. So even then, it is still like, okay, it's it's tough, but that could be true for... It was tough to beat... It was always going to be tough to beat the Netherlands by mm, a two-goal yeah. margin anyway, I think. This is, this is just... It makes me think as well why I want the girlies just to have a summer holiday break is that the intensity of it is clearly like playing on them, which it would. And you think, God, like with what they're having to go through with England and the intensity of everyone at club and Earps in the background around the the questions about her future at Manchester United. That's a lot to take on. And I almost just feel like, would it be best for everyone just to have a holiday in Ibiza, go to a villa with the girlies and just chill out? I think England will do better at Euro 2025 if they don't go to the Olympics. Well, that leads me on to a question from one of our listeners because Rian has asked, if England find a way to qualify for the Olympic Games, how detrimental do you think it would be to their chances of defending their European title? And it's an important question because I do think, yeah, Jesse, agree. I think it would. I think they need a break. And there were questions about whether, well, if they did qualify, what is the team that Serena Vigman takes? Would she take younger players and would she take more players from Wales and Scotland and maybe Northern Ireland? But, like, I think that would be, you know, an interesting debate to have about, right, how competitive the squad are you going to take? But I think they desperately need a break to give them the best chance of winning the Euros in 2025. I think without a doubt, yeah. Yeah, because I just think ultimately, regardless of whether she does take other players, and you would assume she takes some just because it's kind of the dumb token gesture thing. And there are <laughs> players like like Aaron Cuthbert, I think is a great example of someone who's would profile England and really by then potentially. I think it'd be be tight, be tight. But Cuthbert, yeah, is a great example of someone whose profile I think England are clearly lacking and would 
improve that squad. Um, so there, there are definitely options out there. But then you're playing a team which isn't all of the players that you're going to take to 2025. I don't. I find it hard to imagine she'd rest senior players just because I don't think that's what Vegan's like. I don't think that's what she'd be interested in doing. And I feel like that would almost be admitting you're going to the Olympics, not trying to win it. Mm. Um, but yeah, as a result, I just think, you know, for any international team to play international tournaments in four summers back to back is it is ridiculous. Yeah, you know, it's especially when these are players who are sort of playing 30 to 40 uh, club matches a season as well. So if they, I think the Olympics is a fun tournament and if they go, it will be great fun. But yeah, I do think it will have a knock-on effect on the Euros. Not necessarily that they won't even do well. I just think they would probably do better for having a rest. Yeah, it's relentless to go again, again, again and never have a summer off. It's just, that is a lot of tournaments. Also for the people that do get left out, is it like Serena doesn't trust in them? Are they less valuable than the people already in the England squad? It's it's quite a unique situation where other countries don't have that sort of overlap of trying to pick other players from other countries. There probably is only two or three realistically that could make that squad if if they're not English. But um, I, I think it's so hard to just compl- to continuously have the pressure of your favourites as well. It's not just competing and getting knocked out as a smaller nation. Like Everyone expects of England players now, and rightly so. They've won the Euros. They've got to World Cup final. Everyone now expects them to consistently do that, and that's really hard to keep doing, no matter how good you are. So I, I, I do think it will be a detriment, but you also want to be in the competition. So it's, it's a hard one. The other thing I'll say as well, which is something I've been pondering, is that Serena Wiegmann's about to try and do something she's never done before, which is like take a team through an entire sort of new cycle to do a Euros, a World Cup, potentially Olympics, and then go back to a Euros. And I also just wonder from a sort of ideas and tactics perspective, her having a summer off might also be Mm. useful in terms of like thinking about what needs to be changed and edited with this team in order to allow them to compete at the Euros because I think it's clear that there is changes that need to be figured out. Like there are there are new players, you know, LJ is a great example of someone who has come into the team for the World Cup and I think there's still a sense that, you know, England are figuring out how to get the best out of her in the same way Chelsea are and I think you can see that improving but that's just one example of like how you want to, like might need to reformulate things. You know, bronze again, like you've got to think about potentially moving or changing your right back. Neve Charles has come in, is like, is she going to be your long-term left back? And I think all of those things are questions which only become potentially harder to answer when you go to this Olympics and then suddenly there are other things to think. There are other questions that come into that squad, like, do I reconfigure my midfield so I have Aaron Cuthbert and Scottish Sam Kerr? And, you know, like, that's like... That's like... A, a totally different distraction, which I don't think is helpful for the coaching staff either. Yeah, and and she, I think she did run into trouble towards the end of the, her spell with the Netherlands where they really didn't necessarily evolve and pick the right players and pick the right system to continue what Sreemon had done and they did sort of tail off towards the end uh, and their defence was a bit all over the place. And I think you don't want to fall into the same trap and that to become Serena Wiegmann's sort of like reputation is, oh, she eventually gets stale and she can't organically evolve with her sides. Um, but they, you know, excel in tournaments, which they do. 
The bronze questions come up. We've talked about it before, but Sharon Upple asked on Twitter, Lucy Bronze, mixed bag of, of a performance, seems to be uh, happening a lot nowadays. Uh, Serena, Serena Wiegman doesn't seem to want a succession plan for her. Who do you see as a legitimate replacement for her long term? We've spoken about this on the show before with the fullback uh, position being uh, there's a big lack of depth for England and Neve Charles feels like she might have locked on to that left back role but the question around Lucy Bronze does remain she's 32 now she hasn't I don't I think since the Euros I've been you know a bit frustrated with her performances just because I think there's a natural thing that happens with age and I think the way that she plays is such an aggressive way which is great but when it goes wrong it goes really wrong and I think she's She's a high-risk player. I think sometimes she plays the game as if she's 2019 Lucy Bronze and not necessarily 2023 Lucy Bronze. But we spoke about the potential lack of options before. We did our next-gen episode. But right-back is an issue. What do you do? Well, do we go Rachel Daly back there? Rachel Daly is a nine now. She's playing and doing well at nine for Aston Villa. Um, Serena Vimman clearly now feels like she's got the left back option she's not going to put her back there unless she needs to but who goes into that right back is it Malatissier like there aren't Esme Morgan can play there but still I don't think she's super strong there so it is a question mark for this team and by the time the Olympics come around is Lucy Bronze going to be Lucy Bronze going to be further out of that conversation she does rely a lot on her physicality. Obviously, like I said, when you get older, uh, unfortunately, you get a bit <laughs> a bit slower. Um, but, I mean, her experience, I think, helps the team. But you do have to start thinking of, OK, even if we use her for the next year cycle or even for the Euros, you know, going into next, se- uh, next year, there isn't a ready replacement. So this is ideally where you'd want to start trying to get someone in to play that role like you said Esme Morgan um, my Letizia can play there uh, I don't know if they are the long term answers um, I would edge towards Letizia but I don't know if she's more suited as a centre back or a right back she has played a lot of games at right back for Brighton uh, you mentioned Rach Daly I mean Rach Daly's 31 I think so she, I would like, take Lucy Bronze at right back every day yeah. over Rachel Daly oh 100% and she's yeah. not the long term answer even mm. if she could do a job there, but she's not the long-term answer. Um, in the 23s, I don't know. I, Georgia Fox, maybe. I don't, she's a long way off. I mean, she's, yeah, she's coming back from Talk ACL. Talk about throwing someone I'm in just, the deep end. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to think of yeah, people no, generally the options can potentially well, play there, but you're, you're really grasping at straws there. And I, I wonder then if the answer is for England is to, for example, look at sort of what Neve Charles is doing at Chelsea and move towards this kind of like crooked back free system. And so Jess Carter can actually put, play there as well, can't true. she? Well, and I think this is again what's interesting. Okay, we don't know when Millie Bright might be back. We know Leah Williamson will hopefully be back, you know, towards the start of next year. Everything changes, I think, with England's options with when you've got those two players fit and available. Immediately Greenwood and Carter are freed up to play fullback positions. You could put Greenwood at left back and potentially try Charles at right back if you wanted to see that. You could have Charles at left back and have her push higher up the pitch and have someone like Carter who is going to play a more defensive role or Letizia or any of those players who are going to be more defensive fullbacks but have that shift around. I think it'd be interesting to see someone like Lauren Hemp potentially on if you were going to do that on that right-hand side because I think she's of all of England's attackers probably my favourite 
defensively. I think yeah. she's very good at doing that role for City and sort of being able to kind of come back and track back and do the work and then sort of use her pace to get forward. So I think given the personnel available, the option almost has to be a bit of a tactical shift rather than... And I know that's, I think, what some people had concerns with England's defensive performance, especially in the first half, was that with Lucy Bronze and Neve Charles both stepping forward, you are asking a lot of your two centre-backs to then defend all of that space themselves. And so maybe that's also... There's like a combination of a personnel and tactical need to potentially shift up that back four. But it is it is hard. And I think it's important not to overstate the fact that, you know, in this game, England were missing their two first choice centre backs because yeah. most nations, I think, would struggle to defend well, well without their first choice. Yeah, and there is we know how, how important it is when England have Billy Bright. It, it, it's massive. Uh, one more question from PJ. Can you address Serena Wiegmann saying that her top song for the year was Burner Boy <laughs> and Ed Sheeran's For My Hand in her press conference? Well, we talked about Spotify Wrapped and wow, did she deliver. Um, Serena Wiegmann is full of surprises, you know? You just feel like you know the gal and then she comes out with something hot. I really didn't think... I thought she was going to be maybe more... I don't know, low-key folk music vibes. I would have thought me. country, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. I, th- I also, th- I bet she loves ABBA. She gives me ABBA energy. Who her doesn't age. Love ABBA? I mean, who doesn't love ABBA? Yeah. But her age, her vibes. I'm sure she's into ABBA. But this one kind of came out left field. Well, what I liked was that she didn't know the name of the song as well. So <laughs> yes. I was like, how has this ended up? It, to me, it was giving a little bit someone who doesn't actually use Spotify that much. Mm. So you've ended up with a random. Yeah, you played one song once, and then it in- she basically. You know when you have one of those days where you just have to listen to the same song again and again and again? She had She that. really felt the lyrics yeah. of Burner Boy. For me, that was Miley Cyrus' live performance of Like a Prayer. It just went up and up because I listened to it about 10 times in one day. But anyway, Serena, loving your uh, taste in music. Let's talk about some of the other big stories from the Nations League next. So two big results in Nations League news, we had Spain losing to Italy through two in a really chaotic game on a terrible pitch that was very fun to watch. Doesn't really actually impact all that much with Spain because they're already through to the finals. And then, this was a big story, we had Sweden losing 1-0 to Switzerland, which means that Sweden, for the first time in their history, do not qualify for Olympic Games. Back-to-back silver medalists in 2016 and 2020 came so close to the gold, lost on a penalty shootout to Canada. That is really, really surprising. But then I take a step out and I think, okay, I remember going into the World Cup. I think a lot of us had Sweden as our potential biggest flop team. Now they go on to get the bronze medal and actually we're pretty close to making it to a World Cup final. But I did expect this kind of drop to happen. And, you know, they they only won by a few inches in that penalty shootout to the US as well. But Not it, even a few inches. Yeah, well, like... Millimetres. Millimetres, yeah. <laughs> all right, listen. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I guess it's not all that surprising, but still such a big team in a group that wasn't super difficult as well. To see them not at the Olympic Games is massive and you feel like it could create a bit of a sort of refresh needed. And I think they haven't, age profile-wise, they, they are a slightly older team and I think that's going to create a lot of questions. But yeah, that's a big one not to have. I think it's harsh to say this group isn't super difficult because all of the teams in this group went to the World Cup. 
You compare that with England's group where only two of true, the four. True, true, true. But I, I understand what you're saying. I just think this is a bit the reality of it's the closer, nations rather, league. but you would still expect Sweden to get out of it but it's closer I wouldn't than you would have always said Spain were favourites to top this group no? surely uh, yeah no yeah you're probably right yeah so and I mean I think what's will be disappointing for Sweden is sort of the teams they've dropped points against mm. but it's just funny because I, I totally hear what you're saying and I do think it's easy to to look at the Swedish team and be like okay Maybe it also needs a bit of a refresh, but they haven't really performed that differently to England England in the Nations League. It's just, you know, England are still in a position because there hasn't been one exceptional team in the group. Whereas, okay, Spain obviously lost to Italy, but up until that point, they had clearly been the exceptional sort of team in the group. And Sweden were kind of unlucky to lose to Spain in that uh, that leg they had at home in another 3-2 game. So my big Nations League takeaway... And I know this is a little bit boring, but that it is silly to put too much on the results that we're seeing here. And everything we've just said about England missing the Olympics and it being good for them, it probably applies to Sweden as well. I agree to an extent. I still feel like this is what I expected to see at the World Cup. We're in basically everything's catching up with people territory all around Europe. Um, And I think the Nations League is kind of the epitome of that with these performances and results for some of the bigger teams. But I do think this is the kind of everything catching up with you that I expected to see in the summer with Sweden that maybe is finally hitting them now. But yeah, I think it's a wider pattern creeping in for all the teams and how much this break would have benefited Sweden, I don't know. I still feel like they're a team that does really well in tournaments, much like England. Major tournaments bring out the best in Sweden. We saw in the lead up to the World Cup, they had some pretty terrible results and that's why expectations were low. But like England, they're a very good knockout football team. And so I think that's where the disappointment will come because they will feel like, oh, well, these results still don't matter necessarily for us because we know when we go to Olympic Games, Euros and World Cups, we can pretty much guarantee we're going to get to the final four. Yeah, Sweden are an odd team for me because every time I watch them, I think something different. So I might watch them and think they've got no chance in the World Cup or they've got no chance in the Olympics or whatever because they play really badly in one game. And then the next game, I look at them and I think, oh, actually, they have something about them that could potentially go really far. And they're just not very consistent. But I would expect of players of their age, like you said, they're a bit of an older squad. I'd almost expect a bit more consistency. I think they're quite settled with a team. Um their forward line, they have quite a few options. They're quite a physical team. They're good from set pieces. Um, but I almost think of them as an Olympic team. I don't know why, because whenever I watch the Olympics, Sweden are always there. So it is <laughs> going to be weird without them there. But um, RIP to those Uniqlo highlighter kits. Oh, so oh, good. So yeah. good. So good. I love all the Uniqlo Olympic merch. I will be missing that. Um, uh, another thing we got to talk about from the weekend was the news of some Champions League format changes and uh, a second tier competition on the horizon. So Champions League is going to expand to 18 teams from 25, 26 
And I know you're thinking, 18 teams, how does that work with groups? Well, sadly, <laughs> for the Women's Champions League, and this is the most gutting part because it took us so long to play, get back to having groups, but there will be no more groups. They're going to fall in line with the men's competition and the new slightly confusing format there. But I am frustrated because I really like having groups for the women's competition. I think the changes that they did really brought a new level of a competition and just a new brand to this, to, to Europe for women's football. It created that, you know, what we had in the men's game, which was that kind of midweek gloss. Um, the best of the best, super competitive, anything can happen, the music. And some of that doesn't change. Don't worry, Jesse, they're not getting rid of the tune. I, I, think, I would anyway. march to UEFA's <laughs> office. We're going to neon or whatever they are. Um, but it, it does, does change things for me. And I feel like maybe it's a little bit too soon to move away from the groups. And maybe you want to fall in line with that men's change. But think about how long the groups existed with the men's competition before we've now seen this quite big upheaval and adapt like could it give us another like five years you know I don't know why they're so obsessed with this Swiss thing I know I well it, I mean the men's game obviously is because certain countries were being frustrated about the lack of places and like the the way that it's split and they wanted a fairer system but I don't I don't think we're really at that place in the women's game no yeah I, I mean maybe it's just because as humans we don't like change as well but mm. I will miss the groups but I think a Europa League is fun. And mm. I know some people would prefer to have an expanded Champions League, but, but I don't know. I I like having a Europa League. I I'm really excited about I second think that's competition. I think that's going to be really good. Um, I maybe would have liked to see, yeah, just expand it, chuck another four teams and another group in the main uh, top tier competition. Uh, but yeah, we're going to have a second tier European club competition. Not sure they they haven't confirmed which season that's going to come. Um, I guess you would expect maybe I think that's 25, 26. Oh, well. really? Okay. I think it's okay. together. How many English places? They haven't said they haven't yet. Said. I think more details to come on that one. I think they've just said it's coming. Um, a second tier. Kate's eyeing up with a child. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just thinking though for for teams that you know you know I've I've played at West Ham where we mid table is sort of what you're aiming for every season which is a bit dull but it's it's kind of that's where you're at um so for the teams that are from say 5th to ninth, 10th even the teams that are near the bottom you know you've got something else to fight for it actually gives your season a little bit more meaning as well so regardless of the actual European competition itself as players that gives you motivation of it does matter if you finish fifth or whether you finish And we've seen sixth, that in the Premier you know? League as well, yeah. right? I know some people like looked at the Conference League as a bit of a silly thing before it started, but uh, I think... West Ham are in the room with us, exactly. come on. Exactly. No, I know, European like, champions, exactly, you're never that. You don't get a chance uh, that's to do amazing, that. That's exactly you know? the example of like why when people were sort of like raising their eyebrows about it before, now it, that seems really silly. And yeah, there is something more to aim for, again, mm. for like mid-table teams. Um, I mean, look at Brighton's absolute revolution. 
They are like the now doing really well in the Europa League. Um, Shit at the weekend though, weren't they? Yeah, <laughs> but like the, what what's happened to that? Yeah, Brighton team, the journey that they've been on. I think it does create an exciting new option, and I'm sure Gareth Taylor and Mark Skinner will be the happiest ones in the room because that could change their qualifying path as well with a bigger Champions League and with this second tier competition. Um, one last question before we go. The most important question of the day. V-Dog has asked, Snog, marry, avoid, Nations League, Arnold Club Cup, NWSL playoffs. Oh, Jesse, going to go with okay. you first. I'm avoiding the NWSL playoffs. I don't want to fuck with that. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I think I'm going to marry the Nations League. Iconic. And I'm going to snog the Arnold Clark Cup because I think that would be a bit freaky. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, I do. I, I'm sort of in line with you. I think the Arnold Clark Cup is quite a funny snog. It's like you snog someone in a club. It's really silly. You'll talk about it with your friend for a few years from like the absolute rotter I snogged in the club. <laughs> it might make it onto some kind of Facebook page collection of club photos, but it'll be a laugh. It'll be a silly story. It's not someone you're going to marry. It's not marriage It's a one-time thing, though. do you yeah. know what I mean? So I agree with you, I think. But I think I would maybe marry the end of SL playoffs because oh. the Nations League is still new to me. I do like the way it's changed international friendlies and made it more competitive, but I'm not super sold on it as of yet. Um, I actually think it's more exciting in the women's game because it's the Olympic Games um, and because a lot of the top teams, obviously, in the men's game like will qualify for the Euros anyway. But So I do like the way that it's sort of created that. But I do think for me it's going to go... Marry NWSL playoffs, snog the Arnold Clark Cup <laughs> and avoid Nations League. I think marrying the NWSL playoffs is a good idea because it like it's, it changes every year. So, you know, your marriage will like stay fresh. It keeps spicy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. So true. <laughs> so true. I think I'm going to have to... Uh... I'm agreeing with Flo. Are you? Yeah, snog um, the Arnold Clark Cup. I mean, come on, everyone everyone, everyone wants, wants a bit of it. Yeah. So um, You'd be stupid not to. Yeah, Nations League. I'm, as I said before, I just don't really understand okay, the point can't of You can't find a connection with the There's Nations League. There's no way that long term I can vibe with that. There's just no. But again, NWSL playoffs, I mean, you know, like I said, different different things each year. Different adventures, you know, you don't know where you get taken. Um, yeah, I'll go in WSL. Visit different cities. Oh, could a be little amazing. bit unknown, but a little bit of familiarity in terms yeah. of it stays the same, but you're doing different things. Don't you think time, the, so. the NWSL playoffs is the thing where you pretend you actually sort of won and you got your right partner, but everyone knows that really the field was true. the person you should yeah. have ended up with. Yeah. So true. <laughs> Very true. Oh, what a way to end the show, guys. Thank you so much for that question, V Dog. Best question I think we've ever had, actually, potentially. Um, we're going to be back on Thursday looking ahead to that massive game on Sunday between Arsenal and Chelsea we've got some really exciting stuff happening next week I won't say more but make sure you tune in to Counterpress next week because we've got some really exciting things dropping so we will see you on Thursday have a good rest of your week (laughs) 